0: to 18. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Let me add uh, my greetings for Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to the men in the room. Kind of by uh, a bit of principle, I don't preach on Father's Day or Mother's Day on, uh, on fatherhood or motherhood partly because I think my uh, tendency would be on Father's Day or on Mother's Day to preach about how awesome the moms are in the room and on Father's Day to preach about, hey, guys, get your act together. (laughs) Uh, um, I'm not sure exactly why that is, but that's— and as we'll see, actually, both of those uh, responses are actually antithetical to the gospel of grace that we celebrate, that moms need, that dads need, and so we're going to revel in the gospel uh, together Uh, as we conclude our sermon series on uh, the letter that Paul wrote to churches he planted in the region of Galatia. And we've been in here in this letter. It's been a quick series since Easter. We'd love to come back to it at some point in the future and really go through it slowly, but we've um, tried to, you know, take this spring season and really focus in on the gospel of grace. Um, The letter to the Galatians is probably... Um, the letter par excellence in the New Testament of uh, where Paul really um, shows how the gospel, the good news about Jesus, you know, has an explosive power, is a dynamic in our lives. Not just you know at the ABCs, not just the beginning of the Christian life. The gospel is not just how you become a Christian, but rather that the gospel is really the, the A to Z of the Christian life. It's the beginning to end. It is. Uh, not just the starting blocks of the race; it's the track on which the race is run. That the gospel produces this dynamic in us of thankfulness, of gratitude, of worship, and um, the gospel ultimately is a gospel of grace. That um, your relationship, if you're in Christ, your relationship with Christ is is not based on is not doesn't have a foundation in what you have done at all. It doesn't have its it's foundation in whether or not you're obedient to God or not, that it's a gospel of grace. It's based on what Jesus has done, not on what you have done. So we're concluding that, and Andrew's read for us the uh, concluding uh, paragraphs of this letter, and we're going to focus in uh, on that today. Just want to highlight that next week um, we're doing a uh, one-off sermon series where we're going to kind of pause before all of you take off all summer long for your um, adventures around the province, around the country, for uh, summer break. And uh, we're calling it uh, Looking Back and Looking Forward. So we want to look back. We think it's biblical. We think it's healthy to to pause and look back and say, what has God done among us? What is he doing? What has he done? Let's remember the grace of our God among us. And so I just encourage you over the next days, Uh, to reflect what has God done in your life. And if you'd be willing to share that, not that you'd have to get up and speak or that I'd quote you or anything like that on Sunday morning, but just to get a sense from what has God been doing in your life, send me a text, send me an email, talk to me and say, this is what God's been teaching me. This is how he's shown me uh, his grace, and this is how he's been good to me um, this past year. So uh, maybe if you get bored during the the sermon, you can text me then. I got my phone on, on silent, so... So don't feel uh, obligated. Maybe you can torture me a little bit. I'll, I'll feel a buzz in my pocket and wonder who's texting me, but I'll have to resist that urge. Um, so yeah, get get in touch with me sometime this week. Reflect, what has God been doing in your life? We as a church need to get better at celebrating uh, what God has been doing, about telling stories of his activity among us. And so take some time to reflect, and if you'd be willing to share some of that not and again not that you have to be quoted or not that you have to get up and and speak about that publicly next week so our passage this morning um begins with paul saying see what large letters i use as i write to you with my own hand you see the apostle paul had an eye affliction he uh, said earlier in this letter he says i know that you uh, galatians love me so much that you would have even torn out your eyes and given them to me if you could He he had an an affliction of with his eyes, and so normally he would write with a scribe. And probably most of this letter, the original letter, was written by a scribe as Paul dictated it to him. And yet, Paul wants to drive the point home. And so, uh, as he writes, he needs to write with large letters so that he could see. And uh, he's saying, "I'm this is so important. Let me sum this up for you. This is the important part. This is really, really important." I'm, I'm writing this with my own hand. I want you to know how much I love you, how much I'm committed to you, and, and I know how much I, I want you to know how much I desire f- for you to be rooted and grounded in the gospel of grace. And so he writes, and the, and the point really of this passage, I think, is in really a summary of the entire book, uh, is, uh, is this verse, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May I never boast in anything other than the cross of Jesus. What he's doing there is he's using um, boasting in a positive sense. We usually think of boasting as a, as a bit of a, a negative thing, a bragging kind of thing. He's using it in a positive sense. He says, I'm, I'm making my boast, and my boast is in the cross of Jesus. Uh, what's a boast? Um, boasting that Paul was re- would be referring to is actually... Uh, Um, a practice that was taken from the art of warfare from the practice of warfare the the boast is what um what the general what the king what the leader would say uh, to his troops to uh to rile them up to get them ready to to charge into battle to get them ready to charge to near certain death and so the the general or william wallace or whatever would you know walk in front of the troops and they'd say you know uh, our cause is great enough our our spears are long enough, our swords are sharp enough let 's go and for king and country or whatever and let 's go and let 's charge let 's go into battle and they 'd make their boast about what confidence they had to to charge into battle. what was the cause that they were uh, that would rile them up what would what would give them confidence to know that that they could go that they could go right into battle and and what what 's a cause that 's worth dying for what 's the cause that um, that, that is, is enough for them to near certain death. This, what confidence do they have? What do, how do we know that we have what it takes? You see, everyone boasts in something. You, ha- Every one of us has something that we're boasting in, something that gives us confidence, something that gives us the deepest awareness of who we are, of how we get our significance, how we know we're a somebody how we know that we matter. Something that defines us. Paul's very likely referring to Jeremiah chapter 9. These are fairly well-known verses from Jeremiah chapter 9. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty men boast in their strength and their might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this. But he understands and knows me, that I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth for in these things i delight declares the lord don't boast in your riches don't put your confidence in your riches don't put your confidence in your strength don't put your confidence in your intellect in your wisdom in your experience that's not ultimately who you are but him who boasts boasts in this that he knows me paul says let not the mighty man boast in his might let not the rich man boast in his riches let not the wise man boast in his wisdom but let us boast in the cross of jesus you see you boast in what defines you it's the deepest like i said the deepest awareness of who you are and what you boast in it is really your master is really the is really when all the cards are laid on the table it's the card that trumps them all for you when decisions butt up against each other and priorities butt up against each other this is the card this is the decision this is the priority that trumps all other priorities and so if you boast in your family you will work really hard to hide the imperfections of your family if you boast in your wealth you'll have a great fear of losing it or your career some of us boast in our failures some of us boast in the hurts that have been done to us And we allow those hurts to define us. So what does it mean to boast in the cross? What does it mean to boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus? Three ideas today about what it means to boast in the cross. The first is that the cross defines my life. That I will define my life, Paul says. My aspiration, my aim is to define my life only by the cross. The the cross is what will tell me who I am. That what the cross says about me speaks the loudest and last word. That what the cross says about me is what has the most authority. So what does the cross say about me? Well, first of all, the cross says I'm wrong. That I'm wrong. Happy Father's Day, guys. You're wrong. See, the cross of Jesus is the greatest indictment against all of us. Listen to what John Stott writes in his, uh, his commentary on Galatians. He writes that, Steve, can you get that slide up there? I didn't memorize this one again. Every time we look at the cross, he says, Jesus seems to say to us, I'm here because of you. It's your sin that I'm bearing. It's your curse that I'm suffering. It's your debt that I'm paying. Your death. That I'm dying. Nothing in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves until we have visited the place called Calvary, which is where Jesus died. And it's there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. You see, the cross is the greatest indictment against all of us that we need a savior. The cross humbles us and says, we need saving. The cross really shows us what we deserve, If we believe that Jesus was dying in our place, when we look at the cross, we say, that's what I deserve. I should have been up there because of my selfishness, because I'm unloving, because I'm neighbor neglecting, because I'm God belittling, because I'm a liar, because I'm a thief, because I'm a deceiver, because I'm so selfish. And friends, it's freeing to admit that. Believe it or not, it's incredibly freeing to admit that we need saving we can stop pretending and posing that we've got it all together. In fact, in the church, that's what we have in common. We for, we so often forget that. We think that when we come into a place like this, into a gathering like this, like we need to, you know, dress our best, we need to put it together, we need to put the smile on whether or not we we feel that way or not. We need to make sure that it looks like our family's got it all together. We need like we we got to put it together when in fact what What followers of Jesus have in common is the admission that we need saving, that we're broken, that we're fallen, that we're sinful. We can stop being a pretender and opposer. The cross tells us that we're wrong. The cross also tells us that we can't make it right, that we're helpless, in fact, to change ourselves. Paul wrote earlier in this in this uh, le- epistle, he in this letter he says in chapter two verse twenty one, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. <coughs> he says if 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 you could make yourself right with God through your obedience, through you being a good little boy or girl, if you could put yourself right with God, Jesus died for nothing, and He wouldn't have had to die. The cross tells us that we are helpless to change our position with God, that our best is actually not enough. And the cross tells us that we're under the curse of God. The the cross spares us from what we deserve. You see, Jesus had to die for us because I'm wrong. And then lastly, the cross tells us that Jesus gladly died for us because we're loved. He... He had to die for us because we're wrong, but he gladly died for us because we're loved. You see, we're wanted. We're wrong, but we're wanted. If you want to know how God feels about you, don't look at your circumstances. They'll continually lie to you. Look at the cross. God demonstrates, he writes in another letter, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. For us. And that word demonstrates is in the present tense. It's not the past. It's not that He demonstrated once and for all His love. He's right now demonstrating His love for you by the cross. He demonstrates in the present tense that He loves you, that you're wrong and helpless, but you're loved. You're wrong, but you're made right through faith. I quoted in this uh, passage an old catechism. In, in, In this series, I quoted. From the heidelberg catechism question 60 how are you righteous before god it's a beautiful answer that needs repeating only by a true faith in jesus christ how are you right with god only through faith in jesus that is although my conscience accused me that i have grievously sinned against all the commandments of god and i have kept none of them and i'm still prone to all evil yet god without any merit of mine, of mere grace, grants and imputes, which is a word that means credits to our our account, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I have never committed nor had any sin, and had myself accomplished all the obedience which Jesus has fulfilled for me. If only I accept such benefit with a believing heart. You see, your obedience doesn't define you and your disobedience doesn't define you. The cross of Jesus can define you. One of the great aims of Paul in this letter of Galatians was to rescue for these churches the teaching of justification by faith. And we've spent much of our time going over that. Justification, that you're made right with God, in right relationship with God by faith, not by what you do not by what you do. It's through faith in Jesus that he's done it for you that you're made right with God. We've talked about double imputation. Justification means that we receive, we're treated just as if we never sinned and just as if we've always obeyed. That that Jesus got what we deserve, so now we get what he deserves. That we're made right with God. And friends, that's meant to lead us into a a place of security in our relationship with God. It's meant to lead us to a place of security. And we've said many times throughout this series that that insecurity is the enemy of intimacy. Right? Insecurity is the enemy of intimacy. remember the talk on the dtr talk to find the relationship talk where a young man often will profess his love for a young woman i heard a story uh, of the there's a shower here in the building this week the young man was talking about he's a pastor here actually so it narrows it down to two engaged pastors talking about how when a young man professes his love for a woman to a woman for the first time and I'm unsure about how she feels it feels like it's raining and you're a worm that's crawled out onto the pavement and you could be smushed at any time (laughs) there's some truth to that When you're not secure, that those feelings are reciprocated. You feel like you're exposed, you're out there, that you're insecure. You could be crushed at any time. Insecurity is the enemy of intimacy. You see, when you really get grace, when you really receive grace, at your worst moments, you won't run from God, you'll run to God. You won't hide from him, you'll run to him if you really understand grace at your worst moments you'll know that he delights to justify you that he delights to adopt you that he has a father's heart towards you when you understand grace in your worst moments you don't hide from god but rather you run to him because you know that it never did depend upon your obedience it never was about how well you behaved it never was about how 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 perfect your obedience was you see, love that's earned cannot be enjoyed. Love that's earned can never be enjoyed. Because you'll always live in fear of losing it. And Paul means for you to become so secure in the grace of God. The cross defines our life. To, to boast in the cross means that it the cross speaks the loudest verdict over my life. It has the last and loudest word. It defines my life. Secondly, the cross directs my life. First of all, it defines me, and then it can direct me. May I I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, what he's saying there, Paul's saying, is that that when he says that he's crucified to the world, the world is dead to him and he's dead to the world. What he's saying is, is that, that he no longer looks to the world for his identity, that he no longer looks to money for his identity. He no longer looks to beauty or power for his identity. I no longer live for the world. The, no, the world no longer tells me if I'm really living. I no longer live for the world and I no longer take my cues from the world to know if I'm really living or not. You see, the world is constantly judging, uh, sending us message messages saying this is the life. This is the good life. You need to drive the right car. You need to have the right look. You need to cr- climb the right ladder. And Paul's saying, you know, the world's ambitions, the world's desires, I am dead to them. I'm unresponsive to them. I don't respond to those stimuli any More. I've seen them for what they are. They're fading. They're demanding. They're empty. They're exhausting. They're insufficient attempts to prove my worth and to establish my sense of meaning. They fail me in the end. You know, the world is constantly telling us, this is the life. Now go and die for it. Go and kill yourself for it. But the beautiful news of the gospel is that That God doesn't want us to achieve an identity. He is an identity for us to receive. Not one we have to die for, but one who has died for us. The world demands from you what it cannot provide for you. And so to boast in the cross means that the cross has decisively ended my dependence on this world for my identity. I am finally free. And so it can direct us by freeing us. By giving us new life, he continues on verse fifteen. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Says we no longer. I'm no longer taking my cues from from my ethnic identity of circumcision or uncircumcision. I'm taking my cues from my identity of being indwelled by the Spirit of God. That I've received the Spirit of God, who has given me a new capacity that I can never have. Who's working in me fruit of love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That I have new capacities that I never could have had before. That the Holy Spirit is working in my life what the law could never do. That the, the law demands these things for my life, but the law has no power to actually produce them. The law can tell me, you know, you should you should love your neighbor, but the law can never make me into a loving person, but the Holy Spirit can. And he's made me new, and he's given me new life. So the, the, the cross of Jesus, boasting in the cross of Jesus means that it defines my life. The boasting in the cross of Jesus means that it is directing my life. It's set, set me on a new trajectory. I'm, on a, I'm moving in a new direction. I have a new power. I have a new life. I'm no longer looking to this world to take my cues from it as to what the good life is and whether or not I'm truly a living. The cross, then lastly, also demands my life. The cross demands my life. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, verse 17, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What's he talking about? He's talking about that if you were to look at his body, he's got scars from beatings and whippings, shipwrecks, that he suffered great loss and great persecution. He says earlier in the passage that the false teachers that were troubling the Galatian churches were doing so in order to avoid persecution, to, in order to avoid hardship for, for naming the name of Jesus. And they're so concerned about the mark of circumcision. He says, but I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I've suffered for this. I've suffered great loss, loss of relationships, I've suffered loss of health. I've, loved, I've suffered loss of wealth. I've suffered loss in, in well-being. I've suffered, I've given myself for this. You see, friends, if we will speak and spread the gospel to this world, we'll never, we'll need to bear the marks of Jesus. You see, all love is self-sacrificial love. To truly love means that you will sacrifice yourself. All love is sacrificial, and so if we will if we will spread the news about Jesus to this world, we will suffer for it. We will endure humiliation. You see, the gospel is not just the starting blocks of the Christian life; the gospel is the track upon which the race is run. the tr- the, the cross of Jesus becomes a template for my life, what my life will look like. That out of love for God and out of love for my neighbor, I will actually embrace sacrificial love just like Jesus did. Out of love for God and out of love for others, I'll embrace sacrificial love because that's what Jesus did. He, he came to honor his father and he came to win our love, to win our hearts, to show us his great love. And he did that ultimately and decisively on the cross and in his resurrection. And so to follow Jesus means that we'll risk loss, that we'll pay the cost, that we'll risk humiliation. And here's the truth. Only when the cross defines you will you submit to this. That if you still need the approval of others, if you still need wealth, if you still need success in order for you to have a life worth living and have meaning and purpose and happiness that you'll never embrace suffering love for the gospel. Until the cross defines you, it will never direct you. And you'll never come to the demands of it. You'll not risk your reputation until your reputation is bound up in a place where you cannot lose it. And the only place where there's a secure identity is in the cross of Jesus. And so Paul says, we're never going to get beyond the cross. May we never get beyond the cross of jesus to define our lives to direct our lives and to submit to the demands that it places on our lives and paul ends his letter in the same place he began begins with the grace of god again just just to underline the point what you need at the beginning of your life of following jesus is grace what you need in the middle is grace what you need in the end is grace the grace of our lord jesus be with your spirit Brothers, family members, brothers and sisters, amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. How we need grace. You need grace today. Think about over think about your last week. Think about yesterday. Think about this morning. Do you need grace today? Grace be with you, Paul says. Grace go with you. What does grace mean? It's unmerited favor. Really more than that, it's demerited favor. It's not only that we don't deserve it, we've done things to not deserve it. It's God's love. It's God's riches poured out to us at the expense of his son on the cross so that we can enter into relationship with a father who loves us, who's compassionate, who's patient, who's so gracious to us. As a church community, we never want to move beyond the cross, move beyond the grace of God, that we would extend grace to one another as we received it from our Father. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for teaching us through this letter written so many years ago, inspired by your Spirit. And still speaks to us today, that it, it still reminds us that we need a Savior. But that you provide what you demand. Unlike this world, Father, you provide what you demand from us. That you have sent your Son. And so, Jesus, we honor you. We honor you as the Son who's worthy of the Father's reception, the Father's applause, the Father's welcome. And yet you were cast out, that you took the curse for us so that we could take get what you deserve, that we could be welcomed into your family, that we could be forgiven of our sins, that we could receive the Holy Spirit to work new fruit in our lives, new capacities for love and joy and peace. So Father, as a church, we cry out to you for that. We, we cry out to you, confessing our great need for grace today, that none of us m- measure up in and of ourselves, that none none of us have, have lived the life that we should have lived. And so we put our trust in you, Jesus, who has. Jesus, be honored in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.